you. Who, me, Officer Krupke? Yeah, you. Give me one good reason for not dragging you down to the station house, you punk. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand, it's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand. Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks. Golly Moses, naturally we're punks. Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very... All right, welcome to Two Beats Off Podcast, Quarantine Edition. What's up, guys? What's up? Hey. I hate the Quarantine Edition because, man, I just hate being bored. We were going to do it anyway, so it's not like it's special because it's the quarantine. So let me yeah. re- let, let me try this one more time. Have you guys ever tried, like, when you're with a friend or a significant other or whatever, tried to, you had this person or celebrity or thing in your head and you couldn't remember the name, so you tried to, like, approximate it and you got somewhere close? So, like, TJ Shig is, hey, he has no idea what I'm talking about. So nope. here's my first example. Recently, I was trying to think of a, a movie in which a boy and his fake dragon hang out in a lighthouse and play tic-tac-toe on their on the stomach together. And what? obviously, it's Pete's dragon. But I couldn't think of it, and I looked at Lois seriously and went, it's Phil's lizard, right? God damn it, Phil. So today... <laughs> Party today, out, man. Again. Today, while... While talking about Larry the Cable Guy, I said Barry Cableman. <laughs> well, that was just build up for Barry Cableman. Yeah, that's. I heard that Barry Cableman really like ranted on some people about like coronavirus shit recently. I don't really remember what it was about. I just saw a headline and I scrolled past it because it was like, "Who cares about Larry the Cable Guy in the year 2020?" So bring it back to music. The Reverend Horton Heat is real mad about coronavirus. You guys see that? Yeah. Well, yeah, and so is the Exploited because they were like, "Fuck this, we're not canceling our tour." And then they literally had to cancel their tour because every venue was saying, "We're just closing." And most most areas where they were going are on some sort of lockdown, quarantine, shutdown, whatever. Right. Are you canceling? Hold on, that sounds like a rancid song. Lockdown, quarantine, shutdown, whatever. Yeah, look out for their next single, buddy. Lockdown, quarantine, shutdown. Actually, hold up. I'm gonna add that to the newest song that we wrote, Steven. So, like, I'm gonna trademark that so rancid can't steal it. All right, TM, TM, TM. Yeah. Hold on, let me get on the keyboard. It's now trademarked and uh, copyrighted, so fucking New Jack. Nice did you cancel? Did you cancel uh, shows at the Garage, MCT? Yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, right. How far? However, out? I am in the midst of doing a really funny troll of the internet with this whole Skid Row Garage speakeasy lounge that I made a joke about last week, and people got real, real upset about because. I made a post where I was like, I said something about like a couple shows being canceled. I was like, but the Skid Row Garage Speakeasy Lounge is open this Friday at 8 p.m. in parentheses, maybe. And like other stuff randomly. And it was obviously a joke. I think I ended it with like, we have toilet paper and hand sanitizer. 
We don't even have a bathroom to have toilet paper, honestly. <laughs> but people got super butthurt and were like, oh my god, you're not taking this seriously. I can't believe you would do this. And I was like, obviously it was a joke. So it inspired me to set up an actual fake speakeasy lounge in my garage. And I took tons of pictures of this fake speakeasy lounge. And I've been randomly posting them on the internet this evening. And I think it's been pretty funny. <laughs> like, I set up a lot of, like, just stuffed animals playing, like... like so it's just, just Frank, like... and cards and, like... My second floor tenant, Ryan, hanging out, doing all kinds of dumb stuff. And, like, we, we set up a bunch of different, like, looks for the garage where we had, like, a beach look and, like, a, a gambling room and, like, a biker bar and all kinds of dumb stuff. And, I don't know, we had a good time with it because, oh, and almost every shot has a Corona beer in it. As like That's excellent. Yeah. Oh, there was a sports bar, too. I don't know. It was fun. I had a good time with it, at least. Maybe people won't think the joke is funny, but uh, honestly, I saw your, I saw your announcement and was excited to come. <laughs> I was like, I'd go to that. Honestly, if people don't think the joke is funny, then those are the people that I want to offend because in a time like this where like literally shit's pretty sad, let's be honest, like this whole thing's going on. Realistically, we could all contract the virus and while we're all fairly young and healthy. Maybe we would pass it on to someone we care about who is not, and they would have real problems, and that would be super sad. We also need to be able to, like, still have a laugh about dumb shit. And me having stuffed dinosaurs and stuffed sharks drinking beer in my garage is hilarious. For sure. It's funny. Yeah. I was going to ask when it became real for you guys. I mean, Steven, obviously you work in a grocery store, so it's been real the whole time, but like, you know, when you're on tour and you don't think that you're out of Pennsylvania till you see a palm tree, that kind of shit. It's like not real yet. Yeah. Um, it wasn't real for me until a lady at Wawa in a mask had to pour my coffee for me. Cause I couldn't use the self-serve thing. So I don't believe it's even real. I live in Pennsylvania. I work in a hardware store and so how do I put this in perspective without saying like exactly what and where? Okay. So I work for a big company nationally known and we were number nine in the nation in sales on Monday, the day that Tom Wolf announced the initial closing of things here in Pennsylvania. And we live in a town where we not only have a direct competitor in our small town, but we have another store from our own company in town. And most cities only have one, not two. So we were number nine in the entire country. It is mind-blowing how much money came through our store on Monday because Tom Wolf said, hey, we're going to close down non-essential businesses. We sold $30,000 worth of paint on Monday. And at roughly $30 to $35 a gallon, that's almost a thousand gallons worth of paint on Monday alone. And that's not what I would think would have been the big purchases. You know what I mean? Paint is a weird one. Well, well paint- here's the deal. So on Friday, they kind of made an announcement that they're going to start slow, like shutting things down. So mm-hmm. most people sat inside their house all weekend, staring at the walls and thinking, I hate this color. I hate 
those handles on our cabinets and just picking their house apart. So they started coming out in fucking droves to buy paint and all these little, little tiny things that they were really upset about about their house. And then they're also coming out and buying things like grills because they're going to be locked up in their house for God knows how long. They want to sit outside on the back porch or in the backyard and cook burgers or, I don't know, squirrels or whatever you might be able to eat in two weeks when we're not allowed to have food anymore. Squirrels, a.k.a. tree rats, (laughs) a.k.a. free protein if you can catch them. What happened? Or let's be honest. By the time we get to the point where we have to eat squirrels, Impossible and beyond will have fake squirrel meat available at the grocery store for us to buy. So, beyond squirrel, only in Appalachia. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it'll taste just it'll taste real gamey, just like real squirrel. I love the idea of beyond turtle soup. <laughs> well, what kind of turtle is it? A sea turtle? Nah, a snapper, bud. So it tastes mean. <laughs> Don't fuck around with different types of turtle. <laughs> Steven, I feel like you've been trying to say something for the last half hour. I have. Yeah, have we been keep... on here a half hour already? No, no, no like... but he keeps doing the thing. Steven, you keep doing the thing where you open your mouth like, and then you don't say anything. I think he has cotton mouth. Oh, that'll do it. If it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? <laughs> Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? I know the line dance to that. Oh, buddy, I know a lot of line dances to a lot of songs, and that only comes out at weddings. Can we have a line dance night at the garage? Oh, yeah. If you want to do all of the popular... Why are you flipping me off? I'm not, Steven. He keeps opening his mouth like he's... (laughs) Oh, I'll have a line dance night at the garage. So, at my buddy Jake's wedding down in Florida, I was pretty inebriated and was in leading the line dances on all the like big group line dances Mm -hmm. uh, with like the bride's mom and the bride and like all the old ladies. And it was a lot of fun, but uh, Mitch comes in and he sees me doing this and he, he kind of had like an, an exist. Oh my God. I can't talk. (laughs) Somebody say the word for me. I I've been drinking existential. That's it. Um, existential crisis because he was like I've known MC for 13 years and I didn't know he could do all these dances and he's just out there leading all these dances on the dance floor and having a go and Mitch was really upset that he never knew I could do these dances but I was just out there busting a move I mean in a white boy drunk at a wedding kind of style but I was I knew the essential steps of the dance and I was having a good time doing it. And he was just like astounded that I knew this. Well, I'm going to assume that since y'all grew up in Pennsylvania, y'all had the same field days I had where we would skip an entire day of school to learn the fucking electric slide four different ways. And like a line dance, the achy breaky heart outside in the parking lot. Um, no, here's how I learned them. I, Some people here know I moved out of Pennsylvania for a couple years and I, while I was away, I worked 
with a DJ who did weddings and I kind of just helped him set up and was like his backup man, like, you know, whatever he needed. And so we worked a lot of weddings. So I basically had to learn these dances to be the like kind of hype man when the wedding was boring. I had to be mm-hmm. out there and like, I was basically a wedding crasher, but I got paid to do it. And I had a great time, but yeah, I learned all these wedding dances and I had to be out there like the most energetic hype one about it because most people at weddings kind of suck. Yeah, fair. Unless they're really wasted and or on some sort of illegal substance or legal substance that they're not prescribed. (laughs) I wish you could see the face I just made because it was very animated. (laughs) (laughs) So the real question here is, is your drug dealer an essential business in the state of non-essential businesses being shut down? Most drug dealers say they are an essential business, I assume. And confirm. So, (laughs) all that aside, does anyone know how they're actually... So obviously they're not sending Stormtrooper-style folks around to check if your non-essential business is open. Do you think they're tracking that through payroll? Oh, no, they're going to do that in like two or three days. I think we're coming for a hard lockdown in like the San Francisco Bay Area style within the next couple of days. Because my my day job has been closed in air quotes all week, but we just have the lobby closed and we've still been printing shirts and doing stuff. Yeah. And we plan on continuing that because we have like two employees. So I again, I work for a hardware store, and we have government contracts. So, um, our store manager started handing out uh, photocopies of a letter that essentially says, even in a state of emergency, we're allowed to go to work. So, I saw that as a preemptive strike on whatever's coming. Them to say, everything's shut down. We're going to remain open. If you want to come to work, you still can, yeah, which can I think is coming week. very soon. We were passing that out last week uh, when he announced they're closing on all, you know, the essential businesses, that thing. Yeah. yeah. Are you getting hazard pay, MC? No, no, no. But I know some companies are. Uh, so there's a Frito-Lay manufacturing facility here in New York. And I know for a fact that people at Frito-Lay are getting um, – $20 a day up to $100 a week over the next four weeks just to show up for work. So if you show up for work every day for the next four weeks, you literally get a $400 bonus just for doing what you would have done otherwise. Hey, um, well, uh, <laughs> uh, the trapped thing. Oh, the trapped thing. Did you read that, Justin? The trapped thing? No, what's the trapped thing? Walk me through the trapped thing. Walk him through the trapped thing. CJ, you do it. All right, so the lead singer of Trapped went on some kind of crazy Twitter rant, and then all these bands started tweeting him like, dude, you're irrelevant. And he was like, oh, shut up. I'm not irrelevant. I'm in Trapped. I have so many more streams than you guys. And uh, I guess the guy from Power Trip... He was like, hey, we'll outdraw you in any market in America. 
What are they trying to draw? I guess. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe we should get on Twitter and uh, get in that conversation. I want them what? to draw a rhinoceros. <laughs> what was? <laughs> I want I want trapped and power tripped to draw a rhinoceros from memory, and whoever is the most factually accurate wins. I don't know what they oh, win. No. Ah, that clicked in my head as you were saying Rhinoceros MC. That is perfect. Fuck. Um, what was the original Trapped tweet about, TJ? Do you know? Like, what was he yelling about? No, I'll Google it while we're talking about this and see if I can find out. Pretty consistently just does it. And he generally ends up just calling everyone a little bitch yep, in the yep. tweet. <laughs> so <laughs> That sounds right. There's an article on Alt Press today about it. Oh, I didn't see it. There is no music news. We are off the rails because this whole, this thing has, like, I didn't want to talk about the coronavirus the whole goddamn time, but there's. So I had a, I had a good topic that I texted Steven about because I was listening to the most recent episode and I kind of started laughing about some of the things that were being said because I realized that in a number of the interviews, we we, you guys brought up things and talked about things that literally two months later seem very cringeworthy. Um, in the most recent episode, oh my, I keep wanting to say Chris, but it's Chad Toper brought up the uh, 70,000 pounds of metal cruise and just the mm-hmm. idea of a cruise in March of 2020 when the coronavirus is running mm-hmm. wild, a cruise ship, which we know has been infected with the coronavirus multiple times multiple cruise ships have had this happen just going on a cruise seems completely absurd right now Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean there have been other things that have been brought up that just seem crazy by that seemed completely normal three months ago but now it just seems like something completely wild to even think about totally understand like that idea like i'm assuming that cruise is canceled Oh, all those cruises are canceled. And like in between episodes, it's wild how much is changing on like a daily basis. The cruise industry has been decimated by this. I mean, airlines and stuff have been really hurt because people aren't traveling. But the cruise industry has been like people are canceling left and right. There are 70,000 ton boats just sitting there empty waiting for people to board them. And no one will ever board them again because... People are paranoid now. I can't wait for and a cheap vacation so. here after it's over. What's that? I can't wait for a cheap vacation here after it's over. Oh, man. I was making a joke earlier this week where I worked like 15 hours of overtime this past week. And I joked, I can't wait to put that money into my savings account for the vacation I won't get to take this year. <laughs> oh, Maybe God. next year, I guess. Well, that's, I saw it. So there are differing reports, obviously, and no one has any idea what's actually going to happen with this thing. But I saw one that speculated today that over the summer it'll ramp back up and won't die back down again till like the holidays, like straight into January and February of next year. And well, I think that's good. Everyone should go get their fucking family sick at Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the world is Jacob Langley? So he's back in Carlisle because everything has been canceled. 
Nailed it. <laughs> that was the most short-lived segment on this podcast ever, which is not its not our fault. We have to blame hashtag coronavirus. Wait, hold on, MC. Can you pause one? Steven, do that one more time for posterity. Do it one more time. Jacob Langley. <laughs> So to reiterate, Jacob Langley is back in Harrisburg slash Carlisle somewhere, wherever he lives, because coronavirus canceled him. Right? Oh, it canceled everything. We're, how many, I'd love to see the percentage of dates of those that were confirmed. But he is back in Carlisle because, Stephen, this morning I sent you a video of him playing live at like 8.30 this morning in his kitchen. People are into voyeurism. Have you guys watched any so, – I guess the big thing now is that uh, folks are live streaming their shows instead of people going to the shows. Have you guys watched anything? No, I do not. I watched a portion of the Code Orange one. I saw the oh. Code Orange one. Most of it. it was pretty good. Was it cool? That one was really good. Cause they made it seem like they wanted to do it because they organized some extra visual component to the show. Was there like a projector or... So you know how bands will play like a video in the background while they're playing? They yeah. would they would cut that into their performance while they were playing and they would do a thing where they would fade it in and out. So it overlap over what they were doing on stage. It's really cool. Huh. But Sonny from Hate Five Six did most of that, right? Yeah, he was oh. in it. That's awesome. Yeah, he does he do, he does amazing things. Honestly, I love the idea of bands playing empty venues to a camera. Like, oh I man, we didn't even we didn't even talk about this. Have you guys seen the wrestling videos? Oh, you guys see Stone yeah, Cold I've, come back I've, on 316 to an empty room? It was fucking amazing. <laughs> I, I've only seen like clips of it on like Instagram. There was a um. I'm not a, a wrestling guy. Sorry. Oh, I'm I'm not either. But the idea of like. They're big over-the-top intros and shit, and them coming in and stomping and fire, and there's just empty seats. Like in the Stone Cold one, he did the popped up on the ropes and like did that to empty chairs. And then, crazy. <laughs> and then was reading a thing and was like, if you believe the 316 should from here on out be Stone Cold Day, give me a hell yeah. And the camera hell pans. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> the camera pans to empty chairs. It was fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's so, so good. What, I'll, I'll what send you guys the link. What me out about this is wrestling fans obviously believe that fake is real, real is fake, whatever. So why don't they just, are, why aren't they just allowed to go because they don't believe this is real? Just put them in there. Let oh, it's real uh, me, damn let it. Darwinism figure it out. I think I, do you think in twenty twenty we're still having the argument over whether wrestling is real or fake? I think now fandom is about the pageantry. Oh no, I work with a guy who believes it's real. See I I want to be with you, Justin, but I know enough people that are TJ's coworker that I can't just let it slide that they know it's fake and they just enjoy the pageantry. I assumed everyone saw that South Park episode where they did wrestling but just wrote that play instead. <laughs> Wait, was it the South Park episode where they just 
they just realized that every Broadway play was a way to get women to suck dick? Uh, no, they did like backyard wrestling. They wanted to be oh, wrestling. Okay, because that was a whole other South Park episode then. But yeah. uh, Randy Marsh started just writing Broadway musicals, and it was just to get his wife to suck his dick, which apparently is all Broadway musicals are about. Huh. I don't um, know. The whole you... Cats thing with the they put buttholes on them and then they took them off and now people want the butthole cut. <laughs> I gotta love know. the internet, right? I don't know about any of that. <laughs> Wait, so you didn't know? Okay, so you know that the most recent uh, edition of Cats was they did live action. It was just like the four of us here on video, but then they edited like cat costumes like digitally over top of them. I didn't know that. I thought they were wearing cat costumes. No, no, no. It was all digital. So in the first cut that they sent to theaters, there were all kinds of mess ups where like one of the characters full hand would just be a normal human hand. Cause they didn't edit the cat costume over the hand. That's amazing. So one of the things that came out later is that in one of the uh, uh, original digital edits, they put buttholes on the cats. That's amazing. <laughs> and then they, digitally removed the buttholes and now because the internet is the internet everyone want, wants to see them they, the internet wants the butthole cut of cats <laughs> um, so to cir <laughs> circle back a little bit um, <laughs> Stoyer watched part of the Dropkick Murphys live stream I didn't watch it but he who, said that who would watch they, that they did on St. Pat's because their St. Patrick's like Hootenanny or whatever the hell they do every year is canceled. But uh, he said it was basically them in a bar and you could hear all their buddies behind the camera being like, you're not going to play that other fucking song. Play that now. And like, listen at them like the whole time. <laughs> and like the thing is just like a, like a fireman's hall where they happen to be at. <laughs> oh man. All right. So to completely avoid the whole coronavirus topic I want to discuss the pros and cons of the main music media sources in 2020 minus digital so records CDs and cassettes well cassettes are worthless oh, no, I, don't get me started on that one I, cassettes okay, are a, ve a vehicle for a download code is all cassettes are TJ I'm with you Cassettes are garbage, and here's why. So cassettes. The only reason cassettes have even like had a comeback recently is because like five years ago, roughly like 2014 to 2015, people started making cassettes because one, they were super cheap to reproduce, mm -hmm. and two, a lot of people who were buying used cars had cars that still had cassette players in them. So a lot of punks and hardcore kids and emo kids were buying like 10 to 15 year old used cars and they still had cassette decks. So it was cool. But in the year 2020, sorry for the burp in the background in the year 2020 cassettes are fucking garbage. As wait, was it Steven or Justin who said they're just a fucking vehicle for a download code. You know what's yeah. funny though? Is I like last that. Yeah. I was in, we were putting out cassettes, but we didn't put in a digital download code. Good. 
Yeah, yeah fuck everybody. Fuck when Reservoir, Reservoir put out a split cassette, and I bought the tapes on eBay and dubbed them at my house, and half of them, like, quit halfway through. <laughs> oh. The other thing that really sucks about cassettes, and this may or may not be important to people, but I think it's important, is, like, the space for artwork is so dramatically reduced, and... Not only is it reduced, it is in a rectangular format. And every other form of media, your artwork is in a square format. And cassettes just ruin the whole like cover design of any kind of music. So I'm going to go ahead and throw a wrench in your works and say that I love the 70s and 80s cassettes from major label artists where they just slapped the square one in there and put a white bar at the bottom with the song tiles in it. It's awesome. And it looks like a jukebox. I have a couple Tom Petty cassettes that way. I have a couple out and John cassettes that way. It's really, I don't know. I think it's neat that they're like, Oh, okay. well, this is okay, another portable enough. format. But would and you bang. rather have that cassette or that album on vinyl where you just get to see the full size artwork and you have the names of the songs on the back, like a normal album, the vinyl for sure. Let me throw this at you too. Do you think that cassettes experienced their renaissance after the most recent vinyl renaissance because vinyl became too cool and nerds who need the stupidest possible thing? A little bit of that. A little bit of that. And I, I, like I said earlier, I think it ties into the fact that in 2015, you could buy a 10-year-old used car that still had a tape deck. So tapes right. were still somewhat usable but in the year 2020 if you're buying a 5 10 year old car even a 15 year old car there's no tape deck there's there's a cd player and there's an uh, an aux an aux like input, input. yeah i'm <laughs> sorry i got distracted i you know how steven did the where in the world is jake langley I want to propose also music for this segment that's tj on the move where just like keep Stands up and moves around with his shit because it happens like half the time. <laughs> right, no. So wait, I got distracted we... because TJ just unplugged and like moved around. <laughs> Can we all agree that of the three CDs, records, cassettes, cassettes are the absolute worst? Yeah. No. No. They're garbage. Big CDs are worse than cassettes. Yeah, cassettes burn better. What? Cassettes burn better. <laughs> In what like, sense? Like and real fire? You mean like by fire? literally setting them on fire? Yes. So if you were at a Christian Steven's music right. bonfire, you could better burn a Marilyn Manson cassette tape. Yeah. I will argue, though, that I think records burn better than cassettes. All that cardboard. Well, yeah, but I like records. I don't like CDs or tapes, so records automatically get the win for me. So I've always had a car with a CD player in it. So I like CDs for that, but I really, my hate for CDs comes out because I hate the jewel case. Fuck a jewel case. I agree with that. I like the, the CD format for having a slightly bigger artwork like area. And I think CDs sound so much better than cassettes. Like it's noticeable. Cassettes. Cassettes have like an inherent hiss to them that you can't get rid of. 
Yeah. It just and CDs exists have in a the format. crispness to them that it just sounds so much better. And let's be honest, the CD like book, the CD case, the yeah. CD visor organizer, CDs are very easy to take out of their jewel case that everyone hates and put into a super like I don't want to say compact because it's compact disc, but let's be honest. It's a super compact storage unit, like a, a, a visor, a visor storage unit or a, a CD book. You can fit like a hundred CDs in a book. That's like as big as three sandwiches. I had a fat fucking book with like 200 in it that lived in my car forever. Yeah. And it was a bit as big as like, Two cheesesteaks from Pat's on South Street in Philly, right? So records, I feel like all of us will agree, records out of the three of those are the... Preferred format. Preferred, for, yeah, preferred format. But not without flaws. Oh, no, not at all. They're... <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> they're, they're humongous. And when you move between houses, they're fucking horrible. Yeah, that's yeah. suck. I, I mean, that's the worst part. Also, if you have your record player sitting on something that's just sitting on the floor, and like you try walking through the room, your record's fucking skipping. Yeah. Oh, for sure. If you want, and if you want to splice hairs, the seven inch is the perfect format because those aren't as huge to move around and whatever. Yeah, I get up every two minutes and flip it. You disagree? TJ? Yeah, you, then you gotta get up and flip it every two minutes. Why would you yeah, listen to a seven? Have you, in a recent Henry Rollins interview, he talked about how he'll put on a seven inch and before he flips it, he'll do like 50 push ups. Yeah, so but none of us are doing that, obviously. I don't so, believe at his actual age right now he does 50 push ups because he has literally done, inter- literally done interviews where he's had to, said he's had to cut back his like, workout routines significantly because he's old and might have a heart attack and die. So I challenge Henry Rollins to a push-up contest. (laughs) You heard it here first. Yeah, you heard it here, Hank. Come on. Come on the pod and challenge MC to an on-air push-up contest. We'll count it. I would be happy to lose to Henry Rollins, but at least I won't have gray hair. But if you do win... You'd be the dude that beat Henry Rollins in a push-up contest. Like there are dudes that can do more push-ups than Henry Rollins, no doubt. But on a one-on-one. Oh yeah, and I'd be pretty lit too. <laughs> You'd just be hammered doing push-ups. Yeah, why not? I mean, half the time when I work out, I have a couple beers in me, so it's like studying. Like you don't want to take a test sober if you study drunk, right? I think that's a thing. Um, I'll bring it back to what our podcast is about and say if you think you're going to be hammered at the gig practice drunk which is why we drank beers when we did that rancid set right absolutely and it was all muscle memory so does Reservoir practice drunk then only a little bit not as drunk as we occasionally (laughs) have played do you just call Mitch and be like hey our bass player might die tonight. You might have to fill in. And I'll just like toss your bass player under my fucking kitchen counter and be like, that's where he's at now. 
<laughs> that was only that one time. Yeah, but it was the best time. You also had to pick him up at my house the next morning to leave for tour. <laughs> and I think that was the tour that we made it about an hour out and the van. Died. No, no, no. That was a different one because I changed okay. your oil on the tour that you went an hour out. I changed the oil and I was like, guys, this van is fucked. That oil, there was not enough of it and it is super shiny. There's a lot of metal in your oil. Oh, no. Yeah. I hope that changing it had helped, but it did not. Without further ado, let's go to the interview with Nathan Gray on Two Beats Off Podcast. All right. Well, this is the, I don't know what number this is, Stephen, five or six? Well, this is this is the new episode of Two Beats Off, and we're here with Nathan Gray from Boy Sets Fire, The Casting Out, and Nathan Gray. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> Excellent. I was like that. Nathan Gray from Nathan Gray. It's nice. Of Nathan Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, to begin with, I like to dive back pretty far, and I just wanted to ask what your mm-hmm. first exposure to music was like. Did you grow up in a house full of music, or what was that? What was yes. that like for you? Uh, it was, there was a lot of um, folk music like Dylan and um, Simon and Garfunkel. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there was a lot of musicals like uh, Man of La Mancha was a big one that I grew up listening to, West Side Story, um, Les Mis, things like that. So it was a, a lot of folk and a lot of um uh, musicals, and then at the same time, uh, my parents always played guitar and sang. So um, that, yeah, it just it was sort of natural. So who the folk influence come from? Then was that uh, like your mother or your father? Uh, it was a little bit of both of them, actually. I think that they both, because uh, I remember them both listening to, especially uh, Bob Dylan and uh, Simon Garfunkel. I remember those two being like very big in the house, and then. Um, also though, I remember like musical stuff being sort of like a family event, like every year at a certain time of the year, West Side Story would come on TV and it would always be like a thing we sat down in front of the TV and watched. And I remember like Man of La Mancha being a album that got played a lot in my house. So I I think it was a little bit of both of them. They just, I, I, I don't know if I, I knew of a separation between it. You know what I mean? I think it was just... It was something we were all into. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember what the first album you either purchased or were given that you remember being like your first tape or your first CD when you were a kid? Funny enough, the very first album that was just mine to have that wasn't just already in the house, I went to, I grew up in the church and um, there was a band called Servant. And they played, um, like a lot of bands at the time, whether they were Christian or not, I think a lot of bands went through different phases where they were like classic rock, and then they were new wave, and then they were, you know. Um, right. So they were in their new wave phase. And I remember going to this sort of church gathering where they played, and there was like a laser light show, and they gave out free albums with the concert. And that was the first album that I owned. I would have never guessed that you were a church boy. Oh, yeah. My dad's a pastor. 
Oh, no shit. What was yeah, that like yeah. growing up? Uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a very, uh, between my grandparents and my parents. So, so just the backstory to that. So my, my dad grew up in a very different sort of situation. Uh, my, his father and mother have been dead for a long time. Uh, my mother's parents just passed away recently. Um, but my mother's parents uh, were sort of the hub for like the Christian hippies in the area. So they, um, my, my dad and my mom met through that. Um, so growing up, I grew up in a very Christian, uh, I, I want to say conservative, but not, not intensely in the, in the realm of, I had a very different experience than most you hear uh, when when they talk about, especially people like me who have no belief system or anything in that direction, uh, normally it's because you're pissed off of, about how you were raised, and I can't I can't bring up a complaint if I tried. Right. Um, I had a very a very good home life. Uh, I had very understanding and very um, reasonable parents, and we still to this day I think on. A lot of things don't really agree, but we love each other and get along just great. So, and it's just always been that way. Was religion something that you remember being passionate about as a kid? Like, do you have a, you just said you have no belief system to well, speak of now. Do you remember yeah. a, a moment? Well, yeah, but it, it <laughs> I, I, if you want to delve really deep into this, so, because it does deal with the music that I'm doing now is that um, so as a child in the church that we were in, in Florida, um, I was sexually abused um, in that church. This wasn't something that my parents knew of, of course, and it's been something that I've been going through for all of my life and trying to come to terms with trying to uh, help, just trying to even realize that it happened. Um, most through Boy Sets Fire and all of that, and it wasn't until maybe I was in my 30s, mid-30s, something like that, to where I was even able to remember a lot of what it was and why I was so angry, like through the casting out. Uh, I had a very big problem with getting drunk a lot and just I was pissed off at the world and all this shit. And um, so... To say that I was very religious during that time wouldn't be correct as much as I was scared out of my mind. Um, oh, and wow. I was the the church that we were in was very forceful in what they believed, and it was one of the reasons why my parents ended up leaving there. Uh, and even though they never found out about the abuse until more recently, when I put out my first album, Feral Hymns, with the song Echoes, which speaks about this. And it was the beginning of my healing through that. So, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I was ever very religious as much as I was afraid not to sort of go along with the flow. Wow. I uh, didn't know that, asking that question, so sorry if I... Uh... <laughs> Did that by oh, accident? Oh no, I'm an I'm an okay. open book at this. No, 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 totally okay. fine. No, I I actually specifically always say in interviews because there was the question of is there anything we shouldn't touch on? I, I always say no to that uh, because yeah. I think that it's very important to talk about everything, and especially since I'm very open with my music. 
and it's already out there through that music. And I've spoken about it a lot on stage. Um, and I, I actually like to speak about it because I hit it for so long. And not only that, but also if, if anyone is able to hear someone speak out about it, maybe it could help them to, to gain strength to say something. Oh, of course. Wow. So you mentioned that that was in Florida. When did you all move to Delaware? Mm -hmm. uh, well, here's the thing. So we lived in Delaware until I was, so from when I was born, I was born in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, we lived in Newark, Delaware. I was about 10 or 11. And that's when we moved down to Florida. So uh, this all happened sort of right in that area, like 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Um, and then it wasn't until I was 19 that we moved back into this area where we lived. So this area is sort of strange. You've got Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania all butt up. So like Newark, Delaware, Elkton, Maryland, where I live now, and Landenburg, Pennsylvania, where my wife is actually from, all butt up together. Yeah. Um, so you could you could literally there are places where you can stand in all three states at the same time. <laughs> um, so so we've we've gone you know so we were only in Florida from you know nine or ten eleven somewhere in there it's it's somewhat of a blur but until I was dead definitely when I was nineteen is when we moved back here. Okay, we're we're speaking to you from Reading in York, Pennsylvania, so we know the East Coast a little bit. Oh, okay, so. right on, nice. So did you uh, work on your beach bod when you were down in Florida? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I was, a, I was a very timid timid child that probably wouldn't have taken off his shirt at the beach very often. Also, I've never really liked the beach. I've always been – I feel like I work more out more now than I ever did in my life, which I yeah. think it's sort of one of those things, though, when you get in your late 40s and you're like, oh, my God, i got to do something before I die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like literally, I'm going to fucking fall over dead if I don't start getting some cardio or something. <laughs> do you feel uh, pressure to, uh, to do that from being in band with your son at all? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It was, it's funny. It was sort of part of that whole process. Um, going from the casting out, I am heresy, um, boys Sets fire, all that into this solo stuff. Um, it was right at the beginning of that, where I was like figuring out the whole sexual abuse stuff and figuring out where I was going with that and how I was going to get healing and how I was going to, turn my life around a little bit. Oh, and I had this Nathan Gray collective thing that I was doing too. So somewhere in there, it was literally, there was a point where I was just, I had just gotten, I feel like I'd given up a little bit and I was just, I've got pictures. It's weird to see like just sort of bloated and uh, dark circles under my eyes and just, just not doing well at all. Yeah. And it was literally just one day as I was, it was it was after Feral Hens came out, and it was literally one day, and it was on. I remember it was, I think it was two years ago, but it was April second that I was like, I've got to do something now. I've got to stop drinking so much. I've got to stop eating pizza for every fucking meal. I've <laughs> got to get into the gym. I've got to get myself together because otherwise, uh, literally, someone's gonna walk in. I'm gonna be slumped over the table. Like this is crazy. Yeah. I'm not even 30 and I feel like that. 
Right. <laughs> well, it doesn't get any better Not when you're in sign. your 40s. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> so you said you moved back to Delaware when you were like around 19. Do you remember when was your first band? Was Boy Sets Fire your first band? Uh, Oh, no, not by a long shot. I didn't um, think so, but I, mean, I, it was I the had first, to ask. Yeah, it was the first band that really went anywhere, you know. But um, when I was in Florida, I had started a band with a couple of friends that were like skateboarding buddies and stuff. And um, we we played like, we're, we did like sort of the local hero thing, you know what I mean? There was a certain club called the Night Owl where we played all the time. And uh, it was, we started out, we were called um, Second Nature, and then we changed the name to Jackanoose, and I have, I can't even remember why. I think it was like a nonsense name that me and the bass player came up with because we thought it was funny, and I don't know why we thought it was even funny, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. And then after that, uh, when I moved back to Delaware, I was in and out of bands. Like right before Boy Sets Fire, I was in a band um, and and I was miserable in it. It just wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I remember like the day when Chad and Josh gave me a call and were like, hey, we're starting this thing and here's what we're doing. I was like, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. Let's do this. Do you remember what your first exposure to punk and hardcore was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in I was going to a Christian school actually in Florida. And uh, there was another kid, this, this kid, uh, kid named Gordon. He was in, he was in, I think he was a, he was in a higher grade. I can't remember what, but I was, I, I had to have been in like seventh or eighth grade. And I remember he had gotten me and it's, it's so weird to think of now, but he, he had made a tape for me. And on one side was that first Violent Femmes album. And on the other side was Black Flag in my head, which you wouldn't think of the two to go together, but like oh, not at, all. at that yeah. time when I'm just discovering punk, it totally did. You know, I was like, this is crazy. Like there's these two different versions of the, this thing called punk that I don't really get, but it's, it's, I sort of do, you know? And uh, between that and then I had a cousin that was really into punk and he sent me a bunch of stuff. It was, um, I remember there was a, there was a minor threat album involved there was um, there was a compilation that Alternative Tentacles put out a long time ago called Let Them Eat Jelly Beans, mm-hmm. and um, at a band called um, Code of Honor, which were like a skate punk band, um, and Fear, and Fear was another one. So there was that, and then I had found the album uh, Decline of Western Civilization, not the metal years, but the punk one. And right. I was sold at that point. It was all over from there. So, <laughs> well, talk a little bit about Boy Sets Fire forming those first couple shows, the first demo. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was crazy because I remember like so we were in a scene that wasn't very political, and honestly, like the bands that were in the scene were just like sort of hometown hero type of bands. You know, they didn't really go anywhere. They just played the local clubs. They did that type of thing. And then a couple of bands like Railhead and um, Walleye, who were on Jade Tree Records in here that actually got out a little bit, uh, quickly broke up afterwards. So I remember when Josh and so Josh and I grew up 
all our lives knowing each other. Like we were babies. Our parents were friends when we were babies. So we knew each other all our lives. Uh, when I moved away to Florida, we lost touch. I mean, we we're like nine year old kids. Of course we did, you know, like, um, right. and then you didn't have cell phones at that time. So, uh, we didn't talk for years. Um, so when I came back though, I remember I was finishing out my last year of high school and I met Chad at Northeast high in Maryland. So during this time, so I met Chad, I started a band with him and we were doing some crazy, like Voivodish esque like type of stuff. And at that same time, I was doing a band with Josh, which was more of sort of a pop punk type of thing. And, and at some point I, I introduced them together, but they didn't want to be in a band together. They had no interest in each other of <laughs> being in a band, which was hilarious because the next step was I left the picture. I stopped hanging out with Chad and Josh both. I had all this other stuff I was doing. And, um, and all of a sudden, Josh and Chad become great friends because they get married to, to sisters. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So these two guys that I couldn't get to get along and be in a band together, I leave the scene and all of a sudden they're best friends and married to sisters. So, um, I was then in this band and like I said, I wasn't really loving it. And I remember Chad and Josh got in touch with me and they're like, look, we want to do a band. We want it to be political. We want it to be, we want to get out of this area. Like we actually want to just book our own tours and get the fuck out of here and just hit the road. I was like, yes, yes. All of that. I want all of that. <laughs> um, and, and so we got together and I remember the first couple of practices were crazy and weird because it was us and this guy, Daryl, that used to play bass for us. And the first couple of practices was this drummer named Tony. And him and Chad didn't get along at all. And he was very short-lived. I think he was in the band for three practices <laughs> before we brought Matt in. And, um, and we wrote a song called Bucket of Rain, which ended up coming out on a Creep Records compilation. And then we did another, it was called No Time Safe, that came out on a local radio station compilation. And that's really where it started. And I remember that. But the funny thing that I remember the most, though, is that before we did a lick of music, I remember us making these weird little like stickers and stuff. And this is where we got while a nation sleeps. We put out these stickers. It said, while a nation sleeps, boy sets fire. And it had like these conspiracy theory pictures on it and stuff. And we just slapped these pictures, these stickers up all over town. And so people were like, what the fuck is this? What is boy sets fire? What is, what is going on? You know? And so when we finally started releasing music, everybody in town had already heard the name um, and it just worked. So um, then we actually started doing music It seemed to work out and we just started branching out from there. We got a copy of Maximum Rock and Roll's Book Your Own Fucking Life and we booked our own fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a common thread in the folks we've been talking to. They have all referenced Book Your Own Fucking Life so far. Yeah. Oh, that was it was indispensable at that time like that was what you got like you went and got picked that up from the the newsstand and you booked everything through there 
and then you had like a pile of maps and like (laughs) probably a lot of just directions that went go to city center and look for punks that oh, for, like the yeah. directions every time yeah. <laughs> they'll tell ask, you where the club is or the squat or whatever like <laughs> yeah ask a punk on the flyer but <laughs> exactly exactly but by the time i got you just go to the city center you see a bunch of kids with mohawks and go hey where's the show and they would know <laughs> by the time I... finding, um dirty punks what uh do you remember we, we had this topic before do you remember your dirtiest punk moment uh, it was honestly probably in the beginning stages of Boy Sets Fire, where I remember I did a whole tour without shoes on, and it grosses <laughs> me out to this day to think of. <laughs> um, I, was, yeah, so I had dreads and like I had dreads and cut off army shorts with like born against patches on it, and like some <laughs> cut off like filth shirt on or something. It was ridiculous, and like I was definitely feeling that like just being punk and dirty and. I am so glad I didn't come out with like, I don't know, some horrible disease out of that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was funny because I remember the other guys in Boys of Fire going, dude, put some fucking shoes on. That's so gross. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned that you guys were setting out to be a political band from the start. Do you remember any bands that, kind of lit that fire under you or anybody that you used as inspiration to go that route? For me, definitely a lot of like the, there were like um, sort of in that crust punk, like vibe, like nausea, uh, born against uh, born against was a big influence for me. And I know some of the other guys Um, and it just that in your face, fuck you political type of thing and and like not even political because political is boring and we're revolutionary you know what i mean just really far leftist fuck you politics just yeah it it got us that bad religion even uh but they were more obviously in a different vein but still you know uh so and i just started eating that shit up like anything i could find that had sort of like that political angry feel to it I, I i would go find it which was very easy to find in punk you know yeah. <laughs> subhumans definitely yeah not so much anymore <laughs> no no not as much anymore but <laughs> you, yeah, you'll that, still find it but it's you know <laughs> it's not it's not the default like it used to be yeah right 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 yeah yeah it's odd you'd think that um now more so than even with George Bush that there would be more political punk records. But it, I, I think that yeah. Bush's time, there were more political punk bands. Yeah, you would think there would be. I think that a lot of bands, they don't want to get involved, number one, which yeah. I think is weird and gross. <laughs> but then you have then you have bands that are more like, they don't want to be a parody, which I sort of get. I get that it's been done. I get that it's, but I feel like I I want people to be a little more creative. Like uh, my new album with a working title, Um, not overtly political, but in the same realm, what I'm going for is calling for people to dig deep into their own issues, dig deep into their own problems in order to solve those problems and be able to live a more happy, well-balanced life, which is where it all starts, which is what I've learned. 
is that happy people don't make people miserable. So right. if you extend that past that and you think, okay, where does government come from? It comes from people. You know, so if the people are more well-adjusted, if the people are happier, if the people are more empathetic and compassionate towards others, we will have politics that reflect that. Well, it's um, kind of that so, idea that the personal so that, is political. Oh, with, and without a doubt, it is. Um, you can't separate the two. And if you try, that's why you actually get what you get now, um, is that – you have people who are selfish, fearful, and and just like, well, it doesn't affect me, so fuck them. Right. right. Yeah. So you have to make it personal. It has to be personal. Um, otherwise, you feel detached from it. Otherwise, you feel like it doesn't affect you or it doesn't affect others. Um, so that's where I'm going with that. And I feel like I hope to see more bands go in that route or even even other different creative things I haven't even thought of I'd love to see you know uh, but I think that I have to agree that it's very possible that you can't really just go out and go hey, fuck Trump fuck the government <laughs> yeah okay you know what I mean uh, yeah we've been hearing that for like since the 70s what what now you know so so it takes uh, – it's not so much the bands need to be more political as much as they need to be more fucking creative, you know? Right. <laughs> and either, either um, you know, find ways to inspire people in another realm, uh, which then goes to influence that. Or honestly, I like I said, if you're just going to go out and be like, oh, fuck the government, you're probably just going to get laughed at and it's not going to matter. That's not going to affect anyone anymore. You know, uh, it affected people back when that was shocking. It's not shocking anymore. I right. think that probably the more shocking thing is love and compassion and empathy um, and, and, and exhibiting that to other people and actually giving a shit about other people is incredibly shocking to most because they've been told for way too long now that no one else should really matter. Just do you, you know? Uh, and when you go out of your way to show empathy and compassion, um, that's the more shocking thing. Anybody going out there and go, fuck you, I'm a nihilist. Yeah, big fucking deal. Good for you. Right? <laughs> I, I, think you hit on, I think you hit on something there that politics right now is very selfish. And I think the idea of yeah. community is what's going to change that. Yes, and to rebel against that is exactly that. Compassion, community, empathy is the prime rebellion against what we're seeing right now. All right. So uh, going back to the Boy Sets Fire timeline a little bit, when mm -hmm. when you guys were at the the day the sun went out, you signed to initial for that one, right? That was your first full length. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'd actually signed to initial, I think, right before that. We did a seven-inch called Consider. And then, and then the first full length came out soon after that. Uh, with the day the sun went out. Were you touring pretty heavily before Day of the Sun, or did you ramp it up after the? Uh, full as length? far as I can remember, yes. I think um, <laughs> it's 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 a blur in a lot of ways because you know in the beginning, like I said, with the old book your own fucking life, you didn't really you didn't have schedules like you do now, where it's like okay, you have like a certain touring schedule after an album comes out, whereas right. then it was just like we're just gonna go. 
Um, and we're going to have a community that's going to support that going where you don't, I mean, I, I think there are some subcultures that do that still, but it's not as prevalent. I don't think as it was. So, right. um, yeah. So we were just constantly touring at all times, starving to death. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> like Steven and I started touring 15 years after this. So the idea of you guys doing splits with mm-hmm. Snapcase and Shai Halud and Coalesce, that's like almost like a weird glory era, but I'm sure you see it differently having right. lived through it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was cool because it was just what you did. You know, you made friends and then you did stuff together. And, right. um, and I, I, I really miss that now. I think there's a lot of sort of pretend versions of that now. But I find that it's not as easy anymore where you make friends and then th- shit's going to happen. Now it's like you make friends and then your new quote unquote friend sort of blows you off on their manager, you know, and like, right. it, and then shit gets weird and you're not sure if that was really what you thought it was. And, um, you know, it just, whereas back in the day, it wasn't like that. Nobody had fucking managers and shit like that. So we were all just trying to find our way. Uh, and we figured we would do it together. Um, and that was the scene. We didn't really care about some of the shit that you would care about now and ways of doing things. Um, so, and that, and that's the other thing is that coalesce would play with the promise ring. Right. Which is mind blowing. Now you would not see (laughs) two bands like that playing together now, you know? So it was a very different time period. Punk and hardcore was a wildly different thing altogether in that it was an ethos it was a it was a moral compass almost it wasn't a style of music um so uh you know i remember seeing damnation and split lip play together and that was insane like you know it's like split lip were almost chamberlain at that moment playing like americana country and then you got damnation which is heavy as fuck with like you know so it sounds like 50 guitars going off to bombs, you know? So it, it was just a day. It was different altogether. And I, 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 to me, it was better, but I never want to be that guy going back in my day. We were the second you start doing that, you've lost, you know, like right. the second, like you start going, well, back in the damn it. Like, don't ever do that. Like, uh, I think we can learn. You know what I mean? We can learn from that past and we could probably actually rebuild some very cool things that from that era, but we can't ever have that again. You know, it's just, that's not, it's not going to be the same, but it can be good and it can even be better. Uh, It just depends on what we decide to do with it. And I wonder sometimes, obviously the eras have changed with everything from social media to the internet to get the shows and not print out map directions or have an atlas or anything. But I wonder how much of that stuff has to do with being young and being in a certain place in your life too, because I feel like every generation has a Mm -hmm. variation of that, of like the wild days Mm -hmm. or the, the early ones, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if every, if every generation goes through the same idea where it's like, Oh, these were the reckless days that we lived through before we got to how it's different now. Oh, without a doubt, because you're still young. So you're going to do stupid, ridiculous crap. 
you know, and like, and you're going to think shit's fun that older people are not going to think is fun. You know what I mean? Like stuff that I did back in my youth or in my twenties, I wouldn't want to do now, you know, um, just, just like crazy, like six week tours of making zero money and sleeping on people's floors that were probably like, uh, like license tested and cockroaches everywhere. Like I, I, it makes me itchy thinking about it. Like, (laughs) but, um, but I think everybody, you know, to an extent, I, I think, you know, it's more likely these days that a lot of bands don't even bother to go out until they get some structure. You know, uh, right. so they get a little safety behind them, a little safety net, which I, I can't say is stupid. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's sort of smart. Like, I mean, if you're thinking business wise, fuck yeah, go do it that way. You know, <laughs> it just wasn't how I did it, you know. Um, and it I used to be one demo for U.S. Like tour. The, oh, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's, <laughs> and and Sorry, maybe into Canada. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. But like I was saying, I never want to be that. Oh, kids are soft these days. Shut up, Grandpa. Like it's <laughs> you know, it's um. I think that it's just done differently, and some people do it one way, other people because there are still bands that do that. I mean, that's how Against Me got big. They and right. and I think uh, off of their heads even where they just went, look, we're gonna hit all fifty fucking states, and it's gonna suck, but we're gonna do it. So it still happens, you know what I mean? Uh, right. It's just not not every band's thing, you know? And I, I think that just like not everybody um, that says they want to be in a band really want to be in a band, you know? Of course. I think people romanticize it a little bit, and then once they get in that grind, it's like, oh, never mind. No, no, no. So after the eulogy came out on Wind Up, right? No, no, that came no? out on Victory first. Yep. Oh, okay. Sorry. Came out on Victory I, first. I misspoke. Um, oh, no, no, no. How dare you not know that? No, I don't care. <laughs> um, that'd be awesome if I got pissed about that. Yeah, you better apologize. That'd be, that'd be important. <laughs> Knowing Good Jesse Sir, um, he's uh, always been one to apologize a lot. Right. <laughs> no need. Um, when it was 2000 after the eulogy came out, and uh, I remember we had signed a one-off deal with Victory, which was unheard of. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, they, Tony was not happy with that, and we weren't happy with him because he sucks. And um, yeah, we want. This is great. Uh, we talked about we we want to talk about Tony from Victory Records at some point. So this may have just worked yeah. out. Well, well, here's the here's the best part about it though is that I never met him until we were off the label. No, like, never met the dude. Um, so we just hated him, just because he was an entity that said dumb shit at us. Um, <laughs> I had never actually met him in person, and probably would end up in a fight if I did. So, but um, I think. You know, we got away with the one-off, but he tried to make us pay for it by, like, telling us, well, I'm not going to do a video unless you sign for more. Well, we're not going to do a video then, I guess. Fuck you. Like, And so it went back and forth with that, and he he was a dick. Fuck that dude. That dude sucks. But Has um, he any of your song lyrics? I have no idea. I, like, my my limited knowledge of that dude is all of just going – Fuck that dude. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is, you know those people that you 
you hear about you, you can't even care enough to hate them. Yeah, like yeah, it's just right. sort of like, oh, that guy sucks so bad. I don't even fucking hate him. I'm just glad I'm done with him. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, pretty amazing in hindsight that you got a one record deal because he's pretty famous for like five record. Oh. Like trap contracts, and that's probably right? Probably why. Like, oh yeah, we beat the system, and then he just fucked everybody after that. So everyone after us, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> he took it out like a fucking abusive husband on everybody else. Fucking <laughs> douchebag. Um, the uh, oh, but so then after that was then when we went to wind up because we actually okay. had. Um, made it yeah that's all he's worth talking about anyway um, <laughs> um we were in a conundrum after that trying to figure out where we were going from there and um and it was in in my opinion and i will definitely jump out on a ledge and say in the opinion of all the remaining members of voices fire which is that were there then which is me chad and josh we made a stupid mistake at that point uh, we had the choice between wind up and epitaph at that point. Oh, wow. and we should have chosen, we should have chosen epitaph. Our drummer at the time had really weird delusions of grandeur and wanted to be the next incubus. And I don't know why or how he thought <laughs> that was going to happen, but, uh, we stupidly followed along and made a poor choice. And, um, the only thing that I see positive coming out of that relationship with wind up is that, uh, and, and they are a label. I actually, for all the issues we had, I, I will never talk shit on them for this reason. They let us go out of our contract with not, with nothing. They just went, you guys are unhappy. We're unhappy. Cool. Go on your way. Oh, Wow. They didn't lock us down. They didn't do anything horrible to us. They could have shelved us. They could have sued us. They could have screwed us wildly because they they dropped at least a million dollars into us, and yeah. it didn't work um, because we're who we are, and we were just we weren't going to sit down with writers. We weren't going to use someone else's song to make a hit, you know. Uh, so so to their credit, um, they were very cool. Uh, I remember it was in the middle of writing um, Play Gears, and we had all sat around talking about it, and I was like, look, I'm going to go call Alan and just see what he says. And like, look, man, we've been working on this. We've been getting people to try to push us in the right direction. You've gotten people to come hang out with us and try it, and they, they all run out screaming because they can't deal with us uh, because we don't want that. We don't, we're not that band and it's just, ne we're never going to be that band. So, you know, if we accidentally wrote a hit, great, that's fucking awesome. We'd love to, but I don't think we're going to, we're not going to write that Creed song. We're not going to write that whatever other bands on their song. Um, so, you know, can, can we just be cool about this, you know, <laughs> and to their credit, they said yes. And they were very cool about it. And, uh um, Being a uh, political band, did you catch any kind of shit for going to wind up? Oh, we caught shit about everything we fucking did. Like, <laughs> wind up was the least of our fuck. Dude, we got shit ever since we signed with Initial. Are you kidding me? Like, the scene was horrible with that shit back then. The second you're not, even if you're just playing in a basement and you signed to like your brother's label that puts out like 
30 of your CDs, someone's going to call you a sellout. It doesn't fucking matter what you do. Like, you know, so, so like, that was the thing. Once we got the wind up, it was like, I don't even fucking care what anybody says at this point. It's, I've been beaten down this whole fucking time. We try our best to be as, like, ethical as feasibly possible and still someone find something shitty to say about us, you know? So, and I think that was the burnout with a lot of bands that ended up signing to bigger labels. They were just like, you know what? Fuck punk, fuck hardcore. These kids are fucking assholes, you know? (laughs) Like we can't do anything right. We try and it's just not good enough ever, you know? Um, So you get into that and you get a little angry and you get a little hateful about that. And I'm actually sort of glad I got through that because that's not a way to live. That's not a way to live your life to, you know, you're still living by someone else's standards if you're only doing something to piss off the punks, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, 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 it's a little weird. You're not really doing what you want to do. You're just doing it to be rebellious and like angry about something. And that's stupid. So, and it got us into a dumb situation. So after that, we, once we parted ways, it was then um, Equal Vision that stepped up to put out um, Plague Years, notes from the Plague Years, and right. they were wonderful. And, I mean, it was like after that, then we did While a Nation Sleeps with Bridge Nine, and it, we sort of carried on that whole legacy of only doing one album per label, you know? And um, It's not a and, bad plan. And no, no, and it worked out just fine up until we got to end hits, and then that's sort of our label. So we just keep putting stuff out through end hits because, I mean, where are we going to go from there? I mean, our friend Oise runs it. We started it. It's our thing. So it'd be weird not to. People be like, well, what's wrong with it? Why won't you guys be on it? (laughs) Um, Can I be be presumptuous and assume that N Hits is a Fugazi reference, the same way the Two Beats Office? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Oise is a huge Fugazi. Anything Ian Mackay does, he's a big fan of. (laughs) He's got a new band, Corky. They're, uh, They're playing our area. I think it's one of their first shows. Oh, really? uh, Ian, no, I, I haven't heard of it. That's that's awesome though. Good for him. It's, it's him and Joe Lally and um what's the what's the girl from Amy, the Evens? Amy Farina? Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Joe is so talented. Oh my god, that guy. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> that's it's whenever he's in one of the bands with any of the other members, it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, gotta watch that one. Cause Joe yeah, Lowry. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. That dude is just ridiculous. Good. Yeah. The, the rare instance you get him and Brendan playing together, it's unstoppable, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. So what was the decision to end boy sets fire? Like, do you remember the first time you ended it? Obviously you remember what led um, to that? We were sick of it. We were angry. We were at each other's throats. Um, turns out, mostly because of the drummer we had, Matt. Um, at the time, we were, you know, not to get too deep into it, but just we all had nothing in common with him. And it it made us lash out at each other. And it was funny because after that whole breakup where we were done for like five years and we were like, we're never doing this again. Uh, when we talked about getting back together, I remember Matt and I going out to eat. I'd helped him move um and and we were sort of trying to get through our shit because it was like 
we just didn't. It was oil and vinegar with he and I. And, and it was with he and Chad, too, and him and Josh got along a little better, but it was like, I, it's hard to explain inner band politics, you know what I mean? Like, where it's just like there's this one guy that's sort of a bully, and it's everybody sort of ends up fighting each other because they can't fight him, you know? Um, and so... I was the last one that needed convincing and I finally was like, fine, fuck it. Let's, let's do it. And very soon into it before, uh, while a nation sleeps came out, came out, I was like, Nope, there is a fucking reason this isn't working. And it's that guy. <laughs> and, um, and, and he felt the same way. And it, it literally came down to a situation where he was telling the other guys, look, it's him or me. And, they told me, and I was like, well, I'm not going to put that on you guys, but if he's already put that on you, I think you know what the decision is. You know, like, we we all know he's the problem. Um, so, and that was it. Done. Um, and we went from there, and we brought Jared Shavelson, who um, we had known from the Hope Conspiracy, to come in, and he's just sweet as all fucking get out he's a beautiful human being i love him to death what a monster um, so what a out, monster drummer he is oh for real right like yeah. he's 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 one of those people like that um he's a machine like he just comes in and he does things and you're like how did you just know to do that like it's just okay you just you just learned 15 songs out of no 30 songs okay you just know 30 songs after I sent them to you two days ago. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm jealous of that. Um, <laughs> dude, for real. Me too. Me too. It's insane. He's, he's, and, and, and on top of that, he's one of those people that's just a good, decent human being. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times when people are like that, they have a bit of an ego, they have a little, you know, whatever to come with it. Nothing like that with him. He's he's awesome. All right. Well, hey, this is um, we're forty five minutes. You want to uh, do the debate game quick? Sure, sure. Why not? All right. So we're gonna call our buddy Sean in, and uh, we're gonna give you guys a, a ridiculous topic, and <laughs> we'll see. Uh, what if I we agree on it? Well, we give you your opinions. <laughs> so this, oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> this is probably the first time that you're not allowed to think for yourself in a really long time. It's um, like a debate. That's <laughs> great. But I found out today, because my initial strategy was we would have the debate, then I'd put like a poll up on Facebook or whatever, and people could vote who won. And I, found, I just realized mm -hmm. they don't have polls on Facebook anymore. No. No. Yeah, so you can do them on Instagram, I think. But and, and Twitter, I like think. Like in too. the stories? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can do them on like the Instagram stories and Twitter. But yeah. Well, we'll try that then. I thought I was out of luck. So. Hey, Sean. Yeah. Greetings. Sean? Hi. Ethan, Ethan, Sean. Howdy. I'm sorry right. to argue with you about stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure this is a great use of your time, so you're welcome in advance. <laughs> Justin, you want to go with that What, Stephen? You want to go with that last one, Justin, that you like? Yeah, go for it. All right. So 
And actually, if anyone feels a strong opinion when they hear this question, I will give you three seconds to claim a side. How's that sound? <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Who would win in a fight, a 100, a one 500-pound duck or 501-pound ducks? <laughs> I'll take the little ones. You want the little guys? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, one minute opening statement. Who wants to go first? I'm just trying to wrap my head around <laughs> the, the premise. Like, just like, because I feel like I have to, like, I, I mean, he already called it, but I mean, all those little ducks just swarming the big one, that'd be it. Yeah, like, you take the little ones. Yeah, you take, you take. Yeah, like, I, you're going to be big and slow, and you can't, like, stomp them all at once. It's like, it's like if I jumped into a fire ant bed, I'm fucked. <laughs> well, now I feel like you definitely have to defend the big duck. <laughs> well, oh, I'll defend the big duck because fuck you. The big duck is, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's big. All right, let's get your <laughs> opening statement. Who's going first? You're definitely going to have to go first because I got to think about this one for a second. All right, <laughs> yeah. All right, Sean. All right, Sean, hit it. All right, so wait, I'm still on 500 little ducks? Yeah, correct. 501-pound yeah. ducks versus one 500-pound duck. That's an enormous fucking duck. <laughs> is, that, is, this duck. Like in a, is this like a morbidly obese Howard the duck? <laughs> See, that's the thing, too. Can he breathe? Like, is he like, like, I should feel like he's going to be incapacitated. And these guys, little guys are going to swarm the fuck out of him. <laughs> like, I'm arguing against my own side because I don't, like, understand how this fat fucking duck ever wins. <laughs> he's a proportional duck, like Clifford the Big Red Duck. Guys, he's a proportional yeah. duck. <laughs> I, I think just going through the semantics of this is even funnier than the argument itself. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you know, those silver linings. All right, I'm going to say five. Well, go ahead, please. 501 pound ducks are going to win, even though they are uh, physically inferior. I think there's a, you know, either like a, a really powerful hive mind that they're going to form. And uh, create some really brilliant strategies, um, or it's just going to turn into like a really like anarchical mob mentality, and and the the, the giant duck isn't really going to be able to like adapt fast enough to deal with the onslaught of 501 pound ducks. Uh, you know, an allegory for uh, U.S. intervention in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I don't know if an allegory is the right word. Don't look it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So since this is my argument and something that I, I don't even, I can just make up because these are fake fucking ducks. <laughs> what if the 500 pound duck is also incredibly smart and becomes a cult leader to these 500 ducks? They have no power at that point. The brute strength means nothing at that point. If he can manson the fuck out of him, what the fuck does it matter? Hey, I mean, we see it right now. If you want to make an allegory to politics, Trump has got all these morons fucking, they can't do anything about it. They can't take him out. They they just say yes to whatever he says. That's my duck. My big ass duck is fucking idiot fucking Trump. 
<laughs> that's He's convinced that's our... all 500 ducks to kill themselves. <laughs> that's our soundbite is Trump is a 500-pound duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess my argument in this theoretical rhetorical thing is that my duck is – a con man and a cult leader, and he convinces all 500 ducks to drink poison and die. Way to think outside. No of amount the- of brute force can, can fix that, you know? Sean, rebuttal. <laughs> I mean, I am about an hour, I'm about an hour south of a big Trump rally happening in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> Now I'm, I might hit. There you go. There's your proof. Like, yeah, I might ask. I might ask five hundred people in line this question until someone shoots me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get three people in. <laughs> right. That's, that's not because I'm at a Trump rally. That's just New Hampshire, baby. Well, the people at those rallies are normally very reasonable to talk to, so you'll oh, be yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my rebuttal against the the cult uh, leader duck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where have you seen it happen? Where have you seen like those five hundred ducks turn on said cult leader? It's always the five hundred ducks that end up dying, like Jonestown. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. You got nothing. This is turning into the Jonestown Duck Pond Massacre. <laughs> I didn't expect you to lose this one, Sean. <laughs> I didn't lost yet, Steven. I'm just regrouping. Okay, okay. Pol Pot. Pol Pot. My duck is Pol Pot. This is year zero. These ducks are fucked. <laughs> He's going to turn them on each other, slamming them against trees. Wow. He's taken my asymmetrical warfare and he's turned it into um, like a cult of personality around a 500 pound. Yeah, I mean, if you can get 250 ducks to hate the other 250, like just give the one 250 something a little bit better or something like that. You know what I mean? Just get them inner fighting and they're never going to pay attention to the 500 pound duck. They're going to be too busy fighting each other. You are an up and coming dictator. Warfare. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this informs the rest of your interview. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go with this 501 pound duck theory. Um, yeah, I'm just hoping I that they totally swarm him too one, quickly, I'm like, it. peck his eyes out, and then uh, <laughs> just like lead him into traffic or something. Yeah, it's never going to get to that point because he's already got the 250 fighting the other 250. They aren't even paying attention to the big ass duck. I am so stoked that I'm winning this now. Holy <laughs> shit! I did not expect this. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a goner now. I picked the wrong side, but wait a minute. <laughs> But can I throw a wrench in here? What if there is a revolutionary little duck? Um, we'll make this. We'll oh, name he's this gonna duck. get fucking crushed. Are you kidding me? We're gonna and name I- this little revolutionary duck Nathan. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, Nathan Sparks. He's gone. He's gone. He's done. He starts a band with, with some other ducks. <laughs> and several of them get crushed because that's what has to happen first in any kind of revolution that it then inspires. But it's not going to be the big duck that dies. It's going to be like his, his like grandkids that like take over the cult. They're the ones that that will then get crushed and stomped down because it's never the first revolution that takes out. Yeah. Those cults are not you built. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so wait, can the Heaven's five, Gate. How, How'd that go? How'd the revolution at Heaven's Gate go? <laughs> <laughs> or David oh, Koresh. Hell. How'd that go? <laughs> Super Holy well. Shit. Pick a cult. Let's see. <laughs> How, how'd the revolution at any of these cults go? <laughs> Sorry, my big cult duck just won. <laughs> Damn. Can a 500 pound, is a 500 pound duck buoyant? Buoyant? <laughs> Yeah, like is it is this a is this a is this a naval belt pound duck float? Um, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. This is your this is your universe, Steven. You haven't fully thought out all the rules of this universe. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Oh, I just changed oh, it all up. Shit. You're fucked. We don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I just took this into mental warfare and emotional warfare, and I, it's, yeah. It's... Someone will be offended. Sorry. <laughs> I was sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I just joined a new cult that I didn't even know existed five minutes ago. <laughs> so. the cult of the five hundred pound duck. <laughs> it sounds like a stoner rock band. <laughs> <laughs> We'll make T-shirts. Don't worry about it. You release that EP with this episode of the podcast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that was a great debate, guys. Well, uh, I'll figure out how to do the poll thing since I'm thrown off by uh, Facebook, <laughs> you know, keeping up with my desire. Right um, Sean, thank yeah. you very much. Any parting words for Nathan? Um, great work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank way you to, so much, John. <laughs> way to make lemonade out of this one. That, that, uh... <laughs> I honestly, I think I should go get counseling after just doing what I just did. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's a Justin and Steven uh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you, man. After Boy Sets Fire, the casting out was your next band. Yes. And I I read that Um, you set out to make that not political on purpose. I did. I did. I um I definitely like um I had had a bad taste in my mouth from all the Boy Sets Fire drama and everything we've been through with that, and I just needed to chill out. Um but the problem is, is that I hadn't really dealt with, this is getting into where I hadn't really dealt yet with the issues I talked about previously about right. sexual abuse and things of that nature. And, uh, I was very angry still, and I didn't have that outlet. So I was looking to just have some fun. And as my friend Oisey that runs and hits records, I actually, I just put out a book called light and love. And in that book, I'm explaining this time period. And one of the quotes from my friend Oisey was it, 
it was the saddest fun I've ever seen in my life. Like it was me just, uh, you know, uh, deflecting and freaking out and like trying to, I was mean. I was drunk and angry and mean just all the time. And I was always that guy like, oh, I'm just going to have some fucking fun. And it was just always at someone else's expense. And it was awful. And uh, it's not really a time period I'm proud of, um, but it's it's something that happened. And it was a time period that happened. And it was, the crazy thing about it is if you take that time period, the, the, the casting out, and then you match it up against working title now, my new album, right. the music is very similar. Because it's it's what I do. And that's my style, you know, is that is that melodic punk sound. Um, but at the time it wasn't honest. It was trying to like be the party guy. Whereas with working title now, coming into more of a self-aware joy, like sincere and self-aware joy and happiness with what I found uh on this path, um, there's this weird sort of like fake versus real um with that so it it was i i still very much enjoy a lot of those songs because they were written from that but like the casting out was actually supposed to be my first foray into solo work and right. i just i just destroyed it i and i destroyed it from the inside out because you know it took me a while after but really looking back at the casting out and the the pressure that I put on other people in the band and stuff like that, like it was just, I was a monster. It was just nonsense. Um, and just doing tours and things that just didn't make any sense to do um, and pushing um, people to their limit. It just, it was, it was too much. And uh, it ended up imploding. And so after getting through all that, I went on to form I Am Heresy, which was a more angry <laughs> metal-like sort of band. Right, um, yeah. it, was, it was hardcore, but it had very like uh, almost black metal and death metal-like overtones to it. And so, and so what you see is sort of me trying to find my way through what I'm going through is, you know, the, the parties didn't work. The faking it didn't work. And then coming back to that anger of Boys That's Fire, but sort of in a different direction, didn't work. You know, it, it, it was just everything kept failing uh, as far as me being happy with what I was doing. It's not necessarily the, the music failed, because like with I Am Heresy, I think a lot of that music is phenomenal, especially the guys that I had picked to be in that band. Uh, number one, my son was in that band, but also uh, the the other people that played in it were just phenomenal musicians. Greg and Crumbs and Jay, just brilliant musicians. But it just wasn't what I wanted. And so I kept searching. And then Boys Hits Fire got back together and we started doing things again and, and, and albeit, and, and we'll never break up again. Like that'll just be something Boys Hits Fire. When, when we decided after Matt to keep going, we decided, look, we're never going to call it quits again, but we're never going to let it run our life. It's just going to be a thing that we do when we want to have fun and do it. 
it's not right. going to be our main thing. It's not going to be our, you know, end all be all, but it's, it's going to be there. And we're never just, we're not going to let go of that because it's special to us. Um, but I still needed to find the right path and, and exactly what I needed. Um, and, and this was it when I finally decided to do the solo stuff, it started with the song echoes, which is about what I had gone through. And I, it was very difficult to write that song. Number one, uh, because I remember sitting in the living room I'm sitting in right now, and I, I had written the song. And and when you're writing a song, I mean, you guys have written songs before, obviously. Uh, sometimes you're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just writing it, and you're scribbling down words, and you're you're doing it all. And then when you get to the end of it, you're like, okay, I'm going to play it through, you know? And I played through it and just lost it. It was uh, it was it was so emotional and personal and at the same time terrifying because I was like oh oh no I can't do this I can't this can't be my first you know foray into a solo work with this deeply personal thing I don't want anyone to know about I don't want to talk about it I don't want to deal with this you know um but then you know I got in touch with Oise and a couple of friends and let them hear it and you know they somewhat knew what what I was talking about, but hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really told my story, you know. So, but I remember always saying that, you know, it's it's time. This is it, you know. You've been looking for that thing that's going to guide you into a new direction, onto a new path, and something like this is exactly what does that for people, you know, to finally find yourself and. um and then I started thinking and I was like, you know, at first I was sort of angry at him because I wanted him to say no. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. like I wanted someone to be like, oh, fuck, no, don't, no, don't talk about that. That's insane. No. <laughs> like, um, and, and then I was thinking about it and I, I, the, the, I remember the, the thing that really brought me into it was sitting there thinking of the 25 years that I've been doing music carrying this around and how many people just statistically speaking could have been in that audience who had dealt with that same thing who had suffered from the same thing who even looked up to me who saw this person on stage that was this strong uh, political character that was screaming into a microphone and had his shit together. And what if I had said something? What if I had realized that? What if I had said something and, and been able to give hope to someone else who was suffering in silence? And it yeah. really hit me that there was a responsibility that I needed to take on. Have, have you to, had anyone approach you about it that has said, hey, this is kind of like, I can relate, this is, you know, help me out? Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's heavy. And it's, it's, it's hard to deal with. And at the same time, very gratifying. 
right. that when you when you help to heal others, you help to heal yourself. And and that's the beauty of it is creating a community out of what you do. And that's what I really want to do with this is build that community. And it's, it's not just for people who have suffered with that kind of abuse. I mean, there's all kinds of different abuses and not just abuse, but even self-abuse and, and, and not even on grand scales, like small things that we do to ourselves, small negativities that we use against ourselves to keep us from realizing our potential or realizing that this is the one life we have. And so to be able to get up on stage and to tell people that they're not alone and that they're special and that they, they deserve happiness and that they deserve to be loved and they deserve to be cared for, even if that means loving and caring for themselves. Because, you know, I don't want to tell people what to do or how to do it but I want people to understand that they can do. And, and I think that's the most important message you could really give to people anymore. When people are angry, when they're hurting, that's what these assholes use. That's what, you know, people like Trump use. They use fear. They use, and, and it's all fear, whether it's, bigotry, greed, hatred, whatever it is, it all stems from fear. And it all stems from insecurity. And if we can reach people on a level that makes them understand that, that makes them understand that they don't have to be afraid, that they don't have to be insecure, that they can find love and they can find love for themselves, we could change the world. Man. Do you think that... uh you going into a more vulnerable subject matter on your solo stuff, do you think that uh, choosing to do the, because both the solo records are pretty different, do you think choosing to do mostly guitar-based, stripped-down stuff on Feral Hymns was kind of a reflection of that vulnerability to do it that way as opposed to a yeah. full band? It was important to do that first. It was important to show steps. Um not just it was not only just important for me, but I think it was important externally for other people to see me take the steps from that darkness and that stripped down raw, just heart rending feeling to a place of rebirth, to a place of revival, to a place of acceptance and not just goofy acceptance of, hey, we're happy now. No. We're not happy now, and we're not going to be at that point because that's not the impetus of this. That's not the end result. You're never going to be like, if you have clinical depression, that's probably going to be with you for the rest of your life. It's learning how to be positive within that. It's learning how to get up quicker. You're going to keep falling. And that's the beauty is learning how to fall <laughs> and, and learning that once you fall, there's going to be a point where you climb the fuck back up. And you're just going to keep doing that. And that's going to be your life. And finding that acceptance in that is a really beautiful thing. Because I think a lot of times when people do this self-help sort of thing, they just go, well, you do this and then you're happy. Fuck no, you're not. <laughs> you still have to live. You still have to live within this life and this society and, and, and within your own chemical issues. 
just getting outside isn't going to cure your depression. Just taking this one thing isn't going to cure your depression. Just doing this one thing isn't going to cure what happened to you. Right. It's completely changing your mindset on what is success and what is failure. And success isn't not failing. You know, you know, success is realizing you're going to fail and being brave in that failure. So you think that uh, you had to work through feral hymns to get to working title, maybe to be your acceptance record? Is that how you would frame that? Yeah. Is oh, that yeah. fair? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, without a doubt. And I, I hope that it keeps growing and it keeps taking on new paths. But I think that working title is definitely the structure. It's definitely the new look is that, you know, if you look at uh, working title, you have a very positive attitude throughout, but you still have songs like Mercy. You still have songs like Refrain. You still have songs like that, that, that have that beaten up feel to it because that's life. You're going to have these moments where you feel like you can take on the world. And then you're going to have those moments where you're like, nothing I do is going to fucking matter. I'm going to lose. I'm going to fail no matter what. So people need to see that. I think that people really need to see that transition from that darkness of feral hymns into a place that's not just, I'm all better now, but more, I've learned how to accept this part of me. I've learned how to accept who I am and what has happened to me and where I'm at and, you know, how to fall and get back up better. Man. Nathan, this has been a real privilege. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This has been excellent. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you have anything that we didn't cover you'd like to like to say or anything you'd like to shout out or plug? Mm, I don't know. I, th- I um, you know, I was thinking today. It's, it's funny. This is because this is so off the path of what we we're talking about, but it's something that we were talking about earlier when we were talking about. Um, younger bands going right. on tour. And and I was thinking recently about like, what would, like, what kind of advice would I give to, to like those 20 year old kids who are just going out or even like these days, like 16 to 19 year old kids going out and, and just what they can expect from what they're going to do. And, and I think uh, I was thinking about it today and it was like, it hit me one of the most important things that I remember from being in a band that I saw from other bands and, and things of that nature was how you treat people on the road it is probably one of the most important things that I wish bands would think about more often. And you yeah. see it now, even you hear it even joked about uh, with the whole thing about groupies and things of that nature. Uh, and I was thinking about it really hard today, and I don't know why it just came to me, but like the, I, I feel like not enough older bands tell younger dudes that it's cool when you go out on the road especially single, you know, you're, you're out to have a good time. There are people 
who are going to be looking up to you. And especially, there are going to be girls that are going to be looking up to you. Now, there are going to be girls who are going to come to your shows. They're going to want to hang out with you. They may even want to have sex with you. The most important thing you can think about in that moment, number one, make sure you're single. <laughs> number two, um, and number two, that girl is not a groupie. She's not a whore. She's not a slut. She's a human being who's come to your show and appreciates what you do. She may very well want to have sex with you, and that's great. If you guys want to have a one-night stand, awesome. Have a great time. But know that you are with a human being. Consent is important. It's the end-all, be-all of that situation. Number two of that is how you treat that person afterwards. And it is something that has just been heavy on my heart, I guess, is, is just the idea that this happens and that a lot of people will either say, hey, don't do that, or they'll say, fuck yeah, get laid, dude. And there's no happy medium. There's no one saying, hey, yeah, go do that. Have fun, but be respectful. Understand that we are sexual animals and that we will do these type of things, but don't be that fucking douchebag. Don't treat that girl differently than you would treat yourself for doing the exact same thing she's doing. So, and that's my speech. <laughs> on that note, is it kind of an awkward situation at times um, I know we were wrapping up here, but I just kind of thought of this. As, no, go ahead. Is it kind of awkward sometimes when you're like on tour, like in a band with like your son in it or like, you know, I mean, is that ever an awkward situation? Mm -hmm. uh, no, it, it wasn't. And and I think that's that's the thing is like there's there's the idea of respecting someone as a human being. Right. And it is, we're, we're going to do things, uh, we're even going to make mistakes, and we're going to act in certain ways. Um, but at the end of the day, is everyone involved in whatever's happening being respectful towards one another? Um, so, you know, uh, I've, I've had those, those moments of definitely being around other band dudes where it was like, oh, gross, dude, what are you in a frat? Like, what the fuck? What are you saying? Like, you know, and, and, you know, and then, and then I've also seen dudes that are sort of afraid to find attraction or, or have that one night stand or whatever with someone because they think it's going to make them a bad person. Yeah. And so, like I was saying, there's, there's never that, that medium of, and, and I guess like now that I'm in that position of like 47, almost 50, I'm sort of that dad in the scene going hey guys go have fun be young but be respectful and understand that you can't treat people like garbage you can't use people and i think that's a more important message in that really um because i think a lot of times like people they they hold it in and then they do things in secret or they just let it out at all the wrong moments and it ends up getting people hurt uh, instead, having a healthy respect for other human beings and having a healthy respect for your own sexual desires and others is very important. 
especially when you're like in your 20s or in your teens, geez, like everybody's confused <laughs> at that point. So, so you get all those hot, sweaty bodies in one room. Good Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a cocktail for trouble. <laughs> so going into that situation um, with more respect uh, for the other humans around you, I think can, can make a lot of difference. But so I think when this, by the time this one airs, you're going to be back from Europe, probably. Mm-hmm. So if everyone who's listening to this wants to check it out, you're doing some dates in, on the East Coast, right? I sure am. Uh, well, it's 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 like a weird sort of upper Midwest. Like I'm going to Detroit, Chicago, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Indianapolis, and then back down to like – Oh, and I'm doing two dates in Canada as well, and then back down in like Boston. And so I've I've got the dates around here somewhere. Sorry, I sounded insane. Like I'm uh, going up here and down here. It's it's, <laughs> it's way more guided than that. It's not that I'm just hopping around from. Like, I go from Canada to Alabama. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> it's like when my mom used to ask me where we're going on tour, I'd be like, "We're going here." She, she didn't know what was going on. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> You you just added the Philly show, didn't you? A little bit ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, just got added to the end, which I'm really stoked on. It'll be cool to play so close to home on the new album with a full band because I just did a record release in Newark, Delaware, but it was just me, guitarist and bass player, and just sort of did a stripped down version without the drums. So it'll be cool to play some of these songs fully with the band in Philly. Yeah, that's awesome. So anyone. Local who's listening, that's March 14th at uh, Kung Fu Necktie, which is a great venue for that. That'll be a really... I love that place. Yeah. Yeah. Great uh, people, great venue. I, I love it. For anyone else, check check out the uh, the new record. Um, when that came out, how long ago did that come out now? The 31st, I it believe. It just came out, yeah, yep, 31st. Okay, so yeah, like brand new record. Check them out on yeah, tour yeah. in Alabama and Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, you, you can go to, uh, if you go look up Nathan Gray Music in pretty much any of the uh, social media sites, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Look up Nathan Gray Music or Nathan Gray Songs. You'll bound to find me. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Nathan. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We appreciate it, bud. Thanks for talking. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Oh, boy. Wasn't that a hell of a time? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hey, TJ, what gripes you, bud? I don't have a gripe, but I got. I do have a topic that we didn't cover earlier. Wait, oh. No. Well, I kind of have a gripe, but I don't want to talk about my gripe. This week's show was a shitstorm for us, so uh, I'm trying to bring it back. How do you mean? <laughs> that was a mess. <laughs> oh, man. Hold up. What was a mess? I only drank one shot of Rumble Mints tonight. <laughs> All right. So here's what I got for you. What's a food that you make that is odd? It's odd. And I'll give you, I'll give you my example. This earlier this week, a couple times I made chicken parmesan, but it was none of those things. Wait, what? None of those things? It it was chicken parmesan, but it was made out of fake Fake chicken. chicken. 
um, ketchup, not tomato sauce. And, oh, uh, no. Fake Parmesan cheese. So That's... it was chicken Parmesan, but it was none of those things. Buddy, I hate to break it to you. That's chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fake and bacon chicken nuggets, buddy. No, I'm trying to call it chicken parmesan. <laughs> fake chicken and ketchup is just chicken nuggets. You know what? No, that's what gripes me. Is your chicken parmesan recipe? That's not okay. <laughs> ketchup instead of red sauce? Fuck out of here with that. <laughs> well, I didn't want to mess with the red sauce by the time I got home from work. I'm essential, Justin, all right? We can't What's all just the... sit around printing shirts all day. What? <laughs> Wait, mess with red sauce? Did you have it uh, in a can? Justin, when are we getting our koozies that we can't sell at any shows because we have no shows? Really soon, and I'll invoice you so you can pay me for them. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hold on, I want to circle back to this red sauce. Did you have it in a jar, or were you scratching red you sauce? Seriously, just like dipping no. fake chicken in ketchup? Red sauce would have been in a can in the cabinet, and I'm not messing with that at 11 o'clock at night. Not messing with putting it on the stove for 45 seconds. No, you got to open the can, you got to try not to spill it everywhere. I'm not dealing with it. Jesus Christ. Ketchup it is, boom, done. Holy shit. <laughs> That's bleak time, time. bleak times, Look, everybody. Bleak times. I'm gonna tell you something right now. I love ketchup, but I'm against what you're saying right now. I don't. I'm neither here nor there with ketchup, but I just made it work. Wait, as, so as a the, condiment, ketchup is one of my favorites. I'm but just pasta thinking. sauce isn't a condiment, so why did you? Just because it's also red. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> MC, you, you know what you else? Like, is you can red? like you can like ketchup, but if you put it on on ground beef you don't call it a bolognese <laughs> if i put it on ground beef it's called a cheeseburger <laughs> or a, that ground or a beef is formed into a patty with bacon on top of it and a slice of cheddar or a scattered yeah, beef parmesan, <laughs> yeah, beef parmesan. <laughs> or i'm sorry we'll call it chicken parmesan because Ground beef is just fake chicken. <laughs> it's yeah, not real chicken, hamburger. so it's fake chicken. So we don't know what it really is. Maybe it's ground beef. Maybe it's some sort of plant protein. I'll give you some plant protein. Maybe it's peanuts just ground up really finely into, um, I don't know. This went, man, this really went tits up, didn't it? it went, we went, we're going <laughs> Hold out with up. And if this one tits up, I think that means this rules tonight. Hold on. Oh, I know where Justin went. So, Justin, the world doesn't love tits. Tits up, didn't it? So, you guys are talking about (laughs) this podcast went tits up tonight. Can we? Well, that can lead me into another thing we could talk about. My wife and I have got funny things we like to call people. We like to call people uh, titty flopping hee haws. Wait, did you say titty flopping yeehaws? Yeehaw, yeehaw. You know, you like said the yeehaw fucking... or yeehaw. H e e h a w. He okay. like seesaw. Yeehaw. So I thought it was y e e h a w. Yeehaw, but you're saying hee-haw, which is a completely different word. Correct. 
people are really laughing at the fact that I am trying to figure out Yeehaw versus Keehaw. That's so Pennsylvania of us. God I don't damn it. Th- I don't think that's what they're laughing about. <laughs> you have to flopping Yeehaw. All right. Thanks, everybody. That's going to do it for us this week on Two Beats Off Podcasts. Join us next week and every week wherever you get podcasts. Bye, guys. Dear, kindly judge your honor. My parents treat me rough with all their marijuana. They won't give me a puff. They didn't want to have me, but somehow I was had. Leap on lizards. That's why I'm so bad. What? Officer Crappy or Real Square. This boy don't need a judge, he needs an analyst care. This just his neurosis that ought to be quite. He's psychologically destroyed. I'm destroyed. We're, We're destroyed. destroyed. We're destroyed. We're the most destroyed. Like we're psychologically destroyed.